Why don't you just turn to the book of Exodus chapter 2 to start. The message is entitled, The Woman Miriam. You know, families can be the greatest delight or the greatest nightmare. Um, and more so when God calls several people in one family to serve him. Uh, the enemy is ever present to cause envy, strife, and all other forms of carnal conduct to disrupt the work of God. Um, Miriam is the sister of Moses and Aaron. Um, she must have been an incredible woman, as we'll see. Yet, with great privilege, um, there comes pitfalls. No one's exempt from this. We are fallen people, and um, though we can clearly see in the lives of others, we don't see the big beam in our own eye. Or though we see people fail in areas, we say, I would never go there, and there I am next week. Um, welcome to the club. Uh, Miriam does not occupy much material in Scripture, but what is recorded about her is very insightful and beneficial for our lives. What I want to do is um, look at Miriam from three descriptions of her that are recorded in Scripture, and then we'll move through her life and we'll see these things. First, we want to look at Miriam, the watcher. Then we'll see Miriam who is the worshiper, and then Miriam, the warrior. We begin with Miriam, the watcher. Here in Exodus chapter 2, Miriam was the agent of faith. In verse 4, Miriam was God's sentinel to see what would be done with Moses. It says, and his sister stood afar off to know what would um, be done to him. Now, the decree had gone out, as you know, to cast every male infant into the river by Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. The danger of being caught trying to secure the safety of any of these children had to have been um, equally decreed. Uh, certainly when a king or a pharaoh or anybody in authority makes a proclamation, there's always the ultimatum if it's disobeyed. That kind of secures fear, makes people uh, bow. There's only two things that people understand in the world. Never lose sight of that. Pain and money. Okay? They work. The daughter of Amram and Jacobed is Miriam. She was the fruit of a godly home dedicated to God. Um, we have uh, in Numbers twenty five fifty nine, and in 1 Chronicles 6, 3, her genealogy. And uh, as you look to some of these things, sometimes you read these long genealogies and they're boring. And you say, what the heck did God put these things in here? Uh, and you think that he put them in there so when you can't sleep, you can read them and bore yourself to sleep. No. And so you can cross-reference and look at the accuracy of the family lines and all the things that take place. Very important. Now, the name Miriam is listed last in both of these listings, yet she was older than Moses. We're not told if she was older than Aaron, but she could have been the oldest of the three. The name Miriam appears 13 times in the Old Testament. Twelve of those 13 refer to Miriam here in our text, the sister of Moses and Aaron, yet not one time is she mentioned in the New Testament. The young girl, notice, stood afar off, our text says, the great anticipation, I am sure, um, with great fear um, of what's going to happen or what could happen. She was acting in full knowledge of God's revelation, even that Pharaoh's daughter would rescue Moses. Now, we don't get much of this information, but remember that the Old Testament is progressive revelation. The New Testament is the commentary on the Old, never the reverse. Okay? So, it's progressive, and then the New Testament makes commentary on the fulfillment or the ultimate commentary on it. Uh, the New Testament commentary confirms the obedience and faith to God's revelation regarding baby Moses and the situation. It's found 
in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 23, where it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. And so God heard their crime. God was aware of their sufferings, and God came down to them. Um, sometimes we are uncertain whether God is aware of our situation or um, difficulties and all, and, and he hears. Um, but again, he put them in there for those 400 years. Delivery was not till 400 years were over. And God's purpose would work out. He couldn't give them the land because the abomination of the Amorites was not fully come. That means that God gave the Amorites and all the people of the land of Canaan, not Palestine, Canaan, that he was going to judge them if they didn't repent in 40 years. I mean, in 400 years. And after 400 years, that line was drawn. God brought his people out and used his people to judge the people he warned. God always warns before judgment. It's real simple. Okay? Noah's flood. 70 AD, the temple. And every other judgment. Now, look at verse 5. Miriam as God's sentinel. Watch the faithfulness of God. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. God is all-knowing, and sovereignty works all things out for his good, for his people, and for his glory always, without violating the free will of man or partaking of the evil of that person or making them do the evil but simply using it for his good. Romans 8.28 is very clear on that. That drives some people crazy. But listen, God is all-knowing. He knows that he cannot learn anything. He knows everything. His foreknowledge is the extension of his omniscience, not the reverse, as Calvinists teach. Okay? Omniscience is all-knowledge. Foreknowledge means you know something before it happens. That comes out of your entire knowledge. Okay? And God knows what people are going to do, what they're going to decide, how they're going to respond. And God in his foreknowledge and in his omniscience, he can declare what's going to happen before it happens, knowing what they're going to do, not forcing them to do what they're going to do. Because if God forces someone to do something evil, then he would be responsible for their sin. And when he judged them, he would be unjust, unkind, unloving, and a liar. Are we clear on this? Okay? You have to think through your theology. When you hear pastors say dumb things or other Christians, all right, you always run everything through the attributes of God. And you'll find out what is biblical and what is not. God led Ruth into the field of Boaz, as you know. It's recorded, it says, and it happened that she came to the parts of the field of Boaz in Ruth 2, 3. It just happened? No, happened. God is directing and guiding. Ruth made a decision to stay with Naomi. Where, where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Your people should be my people. It was a commitment from her life to God, and God honored that. And God is directing and guiding these two women. God often told David whether he should go up against the enemy or not when he asked. No coincidence. And he came up the second time, and it was much like the first time, but David said, Lord, should I go up or not? David didn't say, well, I went up last time, I better go now. No. What God has done in your past serves only to let you know that God will direct you in the future, but not that he's going to direct you the same way. It may be the exact same scenario. He wants us to depend upon him, to go to him every time. Notice Miriam saw the hand of God move on the heart of her enemy. In verse 6, and when she had uh, opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew's children. You know, Abraham thought all the kings were going to come against him after he rescued Lot, as you remember. And he brought back all the spoils taken from Sodom and Gomorrah. So God spoke to him in a vision and told him to stop being Afraid, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward in Genesis 15.1. There are situations in life that are pretty scary, ladies and gentlemen. 
the birth of your child is having problems. Your wife, your husband that's been diagnosed with cancer. A call that's been a horrific accident. That's life. We live in a fallen world and there's horrific things that happen. But as children of God, we commend ourselves to Him, walk with Him in obedience, and we believe that He will direct and guide us through the things of life. You have one of two choices. Either you can try to handle life yourself or you can hand it over to God. There's no C. It's A or B. Jacob feared his brother Esau, as you know, as he expected him to fall upon his neck and kill him. Instead, he fell upon his neck with tears and kissing him. <laughs> In Genesis 33, 4, God went before him. Not that Jacob didn't deserve it. He was a rat. Okay? There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Proverbs 19, 21. Now, having said all this, be careful that you don't say, well, then I can do whatever and God will take care of me. No, 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 no. Don't tempt the Lord. Okay? Don't walk across Colorado Boulevard with your eyes closed, okay? You probably won't make it to the other side. So we don't tempt the Lord. I don't believe I can do whatever I want and it's all going to work out. No, he's given me a brain. He's given me his word. He's given me a spirit. I got to line up with it. I got to go to him. You remember Jacob also when Simeon and Levi slew Shechem. His son and all the men on the third day of their circumcision for defiling their sister Dinah declared to them, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land among them. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed. My household and all shall be destroyed. My household and I, yet he was not. Genesis thirty-four thirty. Once again, God's intervened. And if you look to your life, you can see times when God intervened looking backwards other times you're not aware of that God intervened but he intervened sometimes you think it was God intervened and it wasn't so God is good sometimes he let us know exactly we can clearly see it other times we don't know we just trust that he did and and and, and that's life Proverbs 16 7 says when a man's ways please the Lord he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him now, verse 7 through 8 here of Exodus 2, Miriam was the agent of hope, notice. The daughter of Amram and Jochebed offered Pharaoh's daughter hope to fulfill her desire of keeping the child by a sensible suggestion to her problem. It says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go? And call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you. <laughs> Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall put, I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so sometimes you're going to be there alone when nobody else is around. Not your wife, not your husband, nobody. And you're going to have to encourage yourself. Why art thou disquieted within me, O my hope thou? O my soul, hope thou in God. You have to know the word of God. You have to know your God. You have to walk with your God. He's a personal God. He can't be the God of somebody else and you just hang out. doesn't work that way. The daughter of Pharaoh Notice, gave to Miriam the assurance of hope. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maid went and called the child's mother. What an incredible, incredible miracle God does right there in the midst of them. I mean, every baby should be killed. Jacob had nursed her own son, Moses, at the direct hand of God. God understood all this. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God, Psalm 38, 15. And those of you that are just getting started in life, you just finished school, you just got married, you just started having kids, you have to walk with God. You have to trust God. You have to bring your family to church. They have to grow. You have to grow because life 
You don't know what it contains. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know which way God's going to direct you. So you have to tune your ear to God, not to the pastor, not to the elders, but to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he can speak to your heart in those difficult times, when you're at work, when you're with the family, when whatever it may be, and that he can direct and guide you. Notice in verse 9, Miriam was the agent of love next. As she saw the face of her mother, Jacobin, filled with love for little Moses, it says, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. <laughs> what an incredible blessing. God was raising up a nation. God was raising up a leader to lead that nation. God is in control. Not Forcing Pharaoh's daughter, not forcing anybody, but knowing and declaring. That's the type of God we serve. We don't understand it to its full end. And all the questions you and I have when we get up there, when we get up there, we'll be just like him, so it won't matter. We're not going to ask him. <laughs> not at all. As she heard how God would provide for the family financially. Listen to the words. And I will give you your wages. God's so good. Not only are you going to nurse your, your bone baby boy, but I'm going to give you money to do that. Wow. Proverbs uh, 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Mommies, put that in your heart. Because your kids are going to drive you crazy at times. They're going to test you. They're going to tempt you. You're going to have difficult times. Sometimes you and your husband aren't going to get along. And both you are going to have to die to self and call on the Lord and humble yourselves. And ask God to fill you with His Spirit and make you one like never before. The course of life. Notice that she saw her mother speak to little Moses about God and the promises so that he would respond to her regarding his future plan for Israel. It says, so the woman took the child and nursed him. Hebrew women would um, raise their children and nurse them in those years before weaning. They would whisper in their ear, Yahweh is Lord. And they would talk about God and the word of God. Formative years. Eighteen years later, you have your son, your daughter. A third of those years, they sleep. Some a little more. That leaves you twelve. The third, they're in some form of institution, hopefully not correctional. That leaves you six. The first three, they're toddlers. You ready? You have three years out of 18 to affect your child. Now you know why God says moms are to be at home and dads are at work. Or your children would be more like the people that are raising them. A key to society. The future generations. Godly or godless. One of the two. Interesting. And now. Abides faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of this is agape love. 1 Corinthians 13. 13. This is to be the motive of everything we do. We do what we do because we love God. And because he loved us first, we love him in response. And therefore, his love is to be the motive for everything we do for each other and, and for the work of ministry, whatever it may be. The whole world teaches you, ladies and men, to be selfish, to think of yourself as your time. You know, I need my time. I need my space. Listen, when you said I do and you're married, your space is over. Your time is over. You're committed to life now. All right? Mommies give kids time out. Listen, time out was when 
someone knocked you out and you woke up when I grew up, all right? We're raising a lot of little girls today rather than godly children and mature adults. And once again, it's through the educational universities, both Christian and secular, and through the media, and through Hollyweird, and the seeker-friendly and the emergent church. You've got a lot of things working against the word of God, the will of God, and the church of God, ladies and gentlemen. You need to know that you are born into warfare. And if you don't put on the mind of Christ, you will put on the mind of the world. Absolutely. When Pompeii was destroyed by the um, eruption of Mount Vesuvius, there were many people buried in ruins who were afterwards found in the very diff different positions. Uh, I've been there. Uh, only about a third of that city is um, unearthed. Two-thirds are still under. There were some found in deep vaults as if they had gone for their security. And there were some found in loft chambers. And uh, there were those who were found, uh, uh, this Roman sentinel. Um, they found him standing in the city gate where he had been placed by his captain. With his hands still grasping his sword, his weapon, there while earth shook beneath him there while the floods of the ashes sung their down and overwhelmed him he had stood on his post and there after thousands of years he was found faithful unmoved so let Christians stand by their duty in the post of which the captain of their salvation has called them how are we doing are you standing fast or are you retreating? Are you sidestepping? Are you saying like the world, I'm going to quit? Let me quit. Remember one thing. Before you were a Christian, you were lost, dead, and trespassed in sins and on your way to hell. There was no hope for you or for me. And when you heard the gospel and you repented, then God gave you hope, the greatest of hope. And it wasn't based on who you are, what you have, or where you're going on this earth. It has everything to do with being forgiven of your sins, being a child of God, and that you have eternal life. Wow. Two different worldviews. And so, Miriam was the watcher of faith hope and love. Notice secondly, Miriam, the worshipers presented to us. We flip over to Exodus 15, verse 20. Miriam led worship as a prophetess here. The setting is uh, the leading of Miriam in response to the song of Moses as the children of Israel sang after God destroyed the Egyptian army there at the Red Sea from verse 1 to 19 of chapter 15. And the position of Miriam is identified then Miriam as a prophetess, the sister of Aaron. One who was the instrument of God by his choice and not by her own merit. One who spoke forth the word of God and for the people of God to know the mind of God. And one who stood in a dangerous place being used of God's self-exaltation was always the dangerous potential. Whenever God uses people, it is difficult for people to maintain their humility, their meekness, because of all that God does. And pretty soon they start thinking, well, I mean, I know it's all God, but, you know, I, I, I haven't done too bad. And people tell them, well, you're just the greatest. Boy, I've never heard the gospel preached from anybody like you. Oh, be careful. Be careful. The posture of Miriam was one of celebration. Notice in verse 20, there's still, she took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women went after her with the timbrel and with dance. Miriam took the timbrel 
for music and dance, celebrating God's victory. She led the women of Israel in the same fashion. David, as you know, danced before the Lord with all his might. But um, we would be hard-pressed to find teaching or the practice of dance in the New Testament church. We don't find it. Um, this does not mean that there cannot be any dance in a musical play or a skit, nor that if you feel free to do so in your own um, home and your privacy and devotion, have at it. But certainly we don't see none of that teaching within the church. You do see it in extreme Pentecostal circles where, you know, as the pastor's preaching and you've got Shirley Temple over here on the left dancing and you've got somebody else uh, uh, tonguing out and then someone giving a prophecy. And it's, it's kind of like the Corinthian church. It's a circus-type atmosphere. Now, having said that, let me say that we are Pentecostal. It means that we do believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're in operation today. They're in operation every time we gather together, but decent and in order. Very important. And Paul gives three important chapters in 1 Corinthians um, 13 and 14. In chapter 12, he mentions some of the gifts on how to judge the gifts, how to operate the gifts. And they're very, very, very clear. So you've got two extremes. Those who just give everything over to the doing of the Spirit, even the nonsense they perform, and the others on the other extreme that say that it was just for the first century church. And yet Peter says in the day of Pentecost that all the things that God gives and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is until the day the Lord returns. Uh, Paul says it also in Corinthians, also in Romans. The book of Acts demonstrates that. So it's whether I'm going to believe man, denominations, or the Word of God. I have to go with the Word of God. And I have to go with the words of Jesus. Very important. Now, the New Testament does say much about song. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, he said he could speak in tongues. He could sing with, my, with his understanding and also in tongues. He could even, he can sing in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, and maybe he knew more languages. He could also do it in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all, but not everybody has the gift of tongues, right? It's the only gift that edifies you. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, Hebrews 2.12, and uh, Revelation 5.9 tells us about song in heaven, song in the church, uh, singing worship song, praises in the heart of the Lord. Uh, the throne of God in Revelation 4 and 5. They're worshiping God. Um, Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Um, the problem with the gifts often in a public arena is that some people love to draw attention to themselves. And when we're worshiping God, we, we don't want to look at you. Uh, when we're worshiping God, we don't want you bringing attention to yourself. We want you to worship God. And when we're studying the Word of God, we want your heart and mind focused on the Spirit of God that's teaching you what He wants of your life and what He wants to impart to you without any distractions of carnality. And often, much carnal conduct is attributed to the Spirit of God, which is an insult to God. Uh, God is not the author of confusion. Now, notice in verse uh, 21 of chapter 15, Miriam led worship uh, to the Lord for what he had done. This is important. Miriam declared to sing unto the Lord, not Moses or Aaron. And Miriam answered them, saying to the Lord Yahweh. The dangers of attributing man with the victories of God are ever-present. Uh, I've known men who God has used tremendously through the Calvary chapels since I was born again in 1973. And I saw several of them be so uplifted, so proudful that God just removed them. They corrupted themselves. 
There's two things that God will do to you if he uses you and you don't give him the glory. One, he can take it from you. Or two, he can give you to it and judge you that way. It's all yours, baby. It'll crush you. One of two ways. You don't want to rob God's glory. You want to stay away from it completely. There must be a constant reminder that man is but a vessel, not one doing the work. Um, Paul the Apostle um, is a perfect example of just the humility that we're to have after his master. And Paul says, Who is Paul and who is Apollos but instruments to whom you believed? As the Lord gave each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, no, not even him who waters, but God who gives the increase in First Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. You know, men and women have prayed for this area. They have ministered. They have sowed seed. And then all of a sudden we come by and God plants us here in 1986. We, we weren't the hottest thing in town. We're not God's only instrument. Yet many have gone before us. And we um, sometimes plant, sometimes we water. But God is the one who saves and gives the increase. He's the one that does it. If you notice, if you've been here for any length of time, we don't have church programs. We don't have fundraisers. We don't have cookie sales or car washes. We uh, don't get into social issues to try to move you and involve you culturally and sociologically. We're here to teach you the word of God so you can know how to conduct yourself in the world. It's his church. Not a political arena. Not a worldly arena. Not a cultural movement arena. And sometimes pastors get confused. Especially with today's wide use of media. With FaceTime and everything else that goes on. And everybody thinks they're a star. And they're letting you know everything they're doing every little minute. Here I am jogging at the beach. Who cares? Who are you? Just because you have a big church or you, whatever, it's, it's a joke. Now, people get impressed down here, but the angels throw up. Okay? It's the way it is. Miriam declared God's victory, Lotus in 21, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The phrase describes God's actions from the aspect of rising up to defeat the Egyptians and to exalt himself above them. The judgment on Egypt was upon all the gods that were no gods at all. Paul told the Corinthians that no flesh should glory in his presence, but in him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 29 and 31. Everything, anything we do, ladies and gentlemen, you know what the seraphims do in Isaiah 6, 3, right? They fly overhead and... And with two wings, they cover their face, two they fly to their feet, and they cry out, Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, and the whole earth is full of his glory. It's all for him. Now, the spirit of Antichrist is well and alive, and it's growing in strength and in movement and in influence in our nation, let alone the world. And it's moving in our nation in a very rapid pace against those who believe in the Bible. There is a bill that's on the floor right now for California, AB, I forget the num number of it, but if it passes, then the Bible is going to be declared a hate crime because it speaks against homosexuality. And so that means that selling the Bible could become illegal, breaking the law. Pretty sneaky, isn't it? Pretty incredible. You say, ah, it would never happen here. Really? Hmm. We'll see. Notice the chorus of Miriam, the prophetess, and the women focus on the power of God, the horse and the rider of the Egyptian army, the very mighty Egyptians, 
could not stop God from delivering his people. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil, Hebrews 2.14 says. God became man, the last Adam, exactly like the first Adam. The first Adam failed by disobedience. The last Adam would not fail, trusting the Lord. And he became little of sin for us. And the wrath of God was poured upon him. And he tasted death for me. He paid the price for me. He died in my place. And then rose from the dead. So that I can call upon him to be justified before God. And to be a child of God. By grace through faith. Through repentance. It is not unconditional. It is conditional. Repentance. Grace through faith. Grace is unmerited. But it's through the process of repentance. And faith has to point you to God's revelation. If you, what you believe is faith in what you capture in your mind, but it contradicts the word of God, it's foolishness. Faith always points you back to God's revelation, God's word. Acting on God's word is faith in the context that it's written in. Not outside of its context. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. The instruments of his destruction was itself more powerful than the Egyptians. Yet God was even greater than the sea that he created and he controls it. Have you ever been down the sea like in a storm? Or you see some, you know, today the program, the documentaries are incredible the way they do it. Just the things they capture or the storms or the sea or... Um, volcanoes exploding and you figure all that power all that energy and yet God created everything and he's much more powerful than the things he created and he holds them all together <laughs> amazing Psalm 29 2 says um, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness and here's where the church is missing it today don't miss it the last word, holiness. There is an unholy acceptance today in the church through the emergent church. I was just told yesterday that where I live, in the town that I live, um, there's a church that serves beer to the people, but they've got a two-beer limit. Wow, that's nice. The new, the emergent church um, has beer bashes with the elders. Wow. Why would I want to do that? That's what I used to do. And if there's beer and cussing from the pulpit like the emerging pastors do, what is going on in the pew? My Lord. Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. Are you kidding me? Crazy. And people go along with it. Holiness. No man can see God and live. You understand that? Be careful. What you swallow. You strain a net. And you swallow a camel. When Queen Victoria had just um, ascended to her throne. She went as a custom of royalty to hear the Messiah rendered. She had been instructed as to her conduct by those who knew. And was told that she must not rise when others stood at the scene of the hallelujah chorus. When that magnificent chorus was being sung and the singers were shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, she sat with great difficulty, it was said. It seemed that she would rise up in spite of the custom of kings and queens, but finally, when they um, came to that part of the chorus where, with a shout of proclamation uh, to him, King of Kings, suddenly, the young queen arose and stood and bowed her head as if she would take her crown from off her head and cast it to her feet. Ladies and gentlemen, may I suggest you this is what's been lost in the world today. A reverence and a fear of God. The church is the biggest culprit. The biggest culprit. The world's lost. We used to be there, remember? Remember? 
You remember? Hmm. Miriam was a worshiper of the Lord for all he had done as a prophetess. Notice thoroughly we have Miriam the warrior. We'll flip over to the book of Numbers. Just keep going right. The book of Numbers chapter 12 verse 1. Miriam contended against Moses and added to Aaron's hurt. Hmm. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses for marrying an Egyptian woman. Or I'm sorry, an Ethiopian woman. Um, it says in verse 1, Then uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. It's said twice. The word spoke means to criticize. The intrusion of an outsider was an offense to Miriam here. The possibility is that his wife was uh, a mere simple woman, perhaps. Aaron and herself um, could have despised her just out of just an evil motive. Envy, flesh, it's all there. The possibilities are countless. But the only thing we can be sure of is his marriage to this Ethiopian woman, which could very well be prejudice due to her darker color of skin. Completely different. Now, the Ethiopian woman is not identified for us in any other way. It's repeated twice, the Ethiopian woman. She's believed to be Zipporah by some, his wife, the Midianite, in uh, Exodus 18.2. She probably was from Ethiopia, as it's stated, from the seat of, or the east of Babylon, the area of Cush in Genesis 10.8. Now, Aaron is not the primary culprit in the text here, but a mere follower of evil. It says, Miriam and Aaron. Miriam is the one who brought the attack on Moses. The text is very clear. She's mentioned by name first before Aaron, and she alone is punished by God. Two and two is four, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Um, The feminine verb also is used, removing all doubt. All right? Aaron had already gotten himself in trouble, if you remember, the golden calf. Uh, And if not for Moses interceding for him, God would have destroyed Aaron. Aaron is not a leader, but a follower. There are a lot of leaders that are followers, which proves they're not leaders. They just are thought to be leaders. Aaron was not strong in character, but weak. His will was shaped by people and pressure. Aaron's strength was only in being submissive to Moses. Apart from him, he was too weak to do the right thing. Now notice in verse 2, Miriam contended out of pride. Miriam and Aaron rebuked Moses, their younger brother, for they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? <laughs> Miriam used her disfavor of his wife to vent her jealousy and envy of Moses. You know how that goes. You're ticked off as it is, and then something happened, and that just kind of just catapults you into it, right? Miriam forgot so quickly what God almost did to Aaron for leading the people to the golden calf. See, the thing is, we forget. We forget real quickly about things. Marion had come to a place and a time in her life in which she no longer saw Moses 
as God's deliverer, but as an equal to themselves before the people. Miriam was accusing Moses of self-exaltation and monopolizing the leadership, forgetting the privilege of her own calling, a prophetess. So she was really dissatisfied with God because she felt that God had shortchanged her. She really was much better and more capable. Isn't that always our pride? There was to be the sin of Korah and his 250 friends later in the journey in number 16. and God took care of them. Notice still in 2, Miriam and Aaron compared themselves against Moses. Has he not spoken through us also? Miriam had deceived herself thinking she could appoint herself apart from God. Ladies and gentlemen, this happens all the time in churches. It is a carnal place. It is a competition. It is just striving. It is just power play. Wow. And we're supposed to be the house of God? Man. Pride goes before destruction, the haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Miriam was giving the impression that it was a majority rule. Instead of anointing and calling. The church is not a democracy. Our nation is not a democracy. It's a republic, a rule of law. And because we run it like a democracy, therefore we have moved into oligarchy, the rule of few over many. And that's why the marching orders from Obama is anarchy. And we have been in anarchy for 10 years. And it will grow unless something happens. Wow. Miriam had ignored the privileged place Moses had on the mountain in the past. Paul warns us, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Wow. Notice Miriam and Aaron had forgotten God. Hears everything. In verse 2 still. And the Lord Yahweh heard it. Uh oh. God is all present. All knowing. All powerful. Big words. Omnipresent. Omniscient. Omnipotent. Nothing escapes him. God does not need to be present geographically in a location to know, to hear, or to do. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord Yahweh spoke to one another, and the Lord Yahweh listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord Yahweh and who meditate on his name. Malachi 3.16. Hmm. Notice here in Numbers 12, verse 3 through 16, uh, Miriam and Aaron contended against God. God declared his assessment of Moses in verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. God confronted the three of them. Verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting, so the three came out. And in verse 5, God confronted the two culprits. Then the Lord Yahweh came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. They were probably dying. And in 6 through 8, God revealed the special place Moses had with him. God told him about the prophets. In verse 6, he says, Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. This goes back to Deuteronomy 18, Jeremiah 23, 25 through 29, and other places. 
Visions are while you are awake. Dreams are while you are asleep. And God confirms his word. Nebuchadnezzar and other people. God gave the vision of the empires of the world. God told them Moses was an exception. Look at verse 7. Not so with my servant Moses. He is a faith, he is faithful in all my house. He distinguishes him from the prophets and the way he spoke to them. Wow. A unique place. And in verse 8, God told him how he spoke to Moses. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord Yahweh. Why, when, uh, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I can't even imagine being there listening. God is speaking to them. Okay, there's, there's, there's no mysticism here. There's no interpreter. There's nothing. God is talking to them directly. Man. This does not mean that Moses saw what God looked like, but a theophany. Some visible appearance to demonstrate God's presence. Lightning, pillar of fire. Those are called theophanies. No man can approach God and live. First Timothy six sixteen, Exodus twenty twenty three, Deuteronomy thirty four ten, and many many other passages. So when it says and they saw God, it means they saw some manifestation, whether it be in the fire, in the lightning, or a voice. But no man can see God and live. God is spirit. Those who worship Him who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now God executed. His vengeance on Miriam in verse 9 through 16. Justice was imparted. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. And then Aaron turned towards Miriam and there she was a leper. Verse 9 and 10. I mean, you're dead. This is leprosy. Called Henson's disease today. It's still not curable. It can arrest it, but you can't be cured of it. And in verse 11, Aaron confesses their sin and acknowledges their foolishness. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Good that he tells that to Moses, but really he sins against God. First, then against or with someone else. In verse 12, Aaron then pleaded that Moses intercede for Miriam so that she be not left as dead. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. In verse 13, Moses interceded in accord with the humility that he had. And God heard him. Look at verse 13 and 14. In 13, the man Moses interceded out of love for his sister as he did for Aaron. It says, so Moses cried out to the Lord Yahweh saying, please heal her. O God, I pray. Short and sweet. Not an hour. Not loud, Lord, I just don't. Like sort of vibersonic or something. Hmm. Hmm. Verse 14, the Lord conceded to the request of Moses with mercy of her father had but spit in her face. Would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days and afterwards she may be received again. Miriam was humbled by God, verse 15 through 16, and pleads for her. She was considered unclean by God for her arrogance against God and Moses. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. She was allowed in again. Afterwards, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran, verse 16. But she knew that everybody knew. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, 
consequences work? When there's consequences, authority is held high. When you do not put consequences in society or your children or yourself, authority is destroyed. And there's chaos. God would have us to learn from Miriam many things, how each of us can be used as agents of faith, hope, and love in a way that we have no idea how God will use that. And then one day, if we're not careful, we can oppose a person God is using the very same way they do, out of that envy and strife and self-exaltation. How God can use this is beyond our ability and our Worthiness, that's important. But it's always to point people to God and give Him the worship and the glory that He alone deserves. How we can be dealt with by God will always have to do with the measure of light we have received to those that much is given. Much more is required. You as parents know that. You deal with your children according to their age, how long they've been with you, how much you've taught them, right? Simple. The name Miriam means rebellion, by the way, fitting to her sin. <laughs> the rabbis uh, interpret her name to mean bitterness. Jerome interpreted it to mean star of the sea, but it's rebellion. The woman was the sister of two most important men in the history of the nation, and she was called a prophetess. Apparently, it wasn't enough. The woman, Miriam, is not mentioned again till her death in the wilderness of Zion, which they um, stayed in Kadesh Barnea there to bury her in Numbers 20, verse 1. Miriam is used by God as a warning to all of us who would presume upon their authority and have um, a critical spirit for those God has called and um, is using Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt, Deuteronomy 24, 9 says. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that we're not to call out heresy. We're not to call out people who are teaching wrong doctrine. We're not to go against people God is using just because we're envious and jealous. That's the context. Are we clear on that? Okay? We are commanded to expose heretics. Okay? And false teachers. There is a fable therein. The devil once was crossing the Libyan desert. And met a group of friends. Tempting a holy hermit. They tried seduction of the flesh. Using doubts and fears. And many other things. But to no avail. The holy man was unmoved. The devil then. Stepped forward. And said quote. Your methods are too crude. Permit me one moment. Going to the hermit, he said, Your brother has been made bishop of Alexandria. <laughs> According to the fable, the skull of malignant jealousy clouded the serene face of the holy man. He's very subtle. Pride goes before destruction. Let a man or woman not think of himself more than they ought to think. Wow. Thank God we have hope in Christ Jesus. Miriam warred not against Moses, but against God. And so the woman Miriam is described for us in this, through these three events recorded for us. Miriam was the watcher of faith, hope, and love. Miriam was a worshiper of the Lord for all he had done as a prophetess. But Miriam warred not against Moses, but against God. And so we can learn these things for our own life. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness. We love you, Lord. We pray you continue to deal with our hearts. And, Lord, we would be open to the work of your spirit. And, Lord, as we walk with you, that you mold and shape us after your likeness, not after our own. And that we yield to you, we obey you. And that, Father, we would be an example to our husbands, our wives, our children, those around us, Lord. And by your grace, Lord, if we just cling to you and abide, Lord, we know that you are more than able. As you're praying, if you are here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're over the Internet. 
or somewhere out in the world through the radio, then you need to call on the name of the Lord. If you see yourself as a sinner, it's God's grace. The Spirit of God allows you to see your uh, sinfulness and your need of God, but he will not make that decision for you. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if you believe and agree with God that you're a sinner in need of salvation and forgiveness of sins, then you can do that right now. It's called repentance. A 180 degree turn. Calling on God's name to forgive you, to give you a new heart, a new life. This is a simple prayer of repentance. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Lord, give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.